0: For Thou art our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Already the sweet smell of blessedness is upon you. O you who are being enlightened! Already you you are gathering invisible flowers for the weaving of heavenly crowns. Already the fragrant aroma of the Holy Spirit has breathed upon you. Already you have come to the entrance hall of the king's palace. Those are the opening words of St. Cyril of Jerusalem's pro-catechesis, that is his instruction given to those preparing for holy baptism in Jerusalem in the mid-300s. Such words give us imagery, To the joy that occurs throughout the heavenly cosmos when another human being enters the kingdom or the right rule of God. They are reprises to the glorious strains of the Gloria in excelsis that the angels sang when Jesus came to the earth for the first time. Today is another such day for rejoicing as there is whenever a human being is transferred from the dominion of darkness and into the kingdom of light. There's no telling how many times since the baptisms in Acts chapter 2 this strain of alleluia has been raised as a reprise to the first gloria the angels sang in Luke chapter 2 at Christmas. Millions of times for sure each one joyful, each one unique. For whether the newly, earth, earthly lifet- the newly baptized person's earthly lifetime endures but a minute or 30 years or 100 years, God's victory has redeemed for himself another child, another individual human being who is forever changed and forever transformed. Baptisms that are performed have cosmic significance, dear friends. And we get some insight into that back when Jesus was baptized. When John baptizes Jesus in the Jordan, what do we see? The heavens open up. The Father speaks. The Holy Spirit descends. The same reality that Jesus models for us, is repeated today. Though those realities are unseen. Quoting our Lord Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verse 5, the prayer book service that will say, just in a minute, for holy baptism begins, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The importance of baptism cannot be Overstated. St. Leo the Great, Bishop of Rome, writing in the 4th century, wrote that baptism is the application of the incarnation upon the individual. Think of that for a second. Everything that goes on at Christmas where God became man and dwelt among us, the application of that onto the individual person. It's what makes it real for and efficacious for that person. Edward Pusey, Anglican divine of the 19th century, writes In baptism, we're not accounted as if we were sons of God, but we are made sons of God. It's not just a symbol, it's not just a metaphor, it's a reality. A cosmic reality accomplished by God on our part. The words of our Lord Jesus to Nicodemus in John 3, 5 is the application of the earlier passage in John's Gospel. John 1:12, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. We read it every Christmas. And to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The incarnation, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ are permanently linked to the sacrament of holy baptism. What Jesus Christ's incarnation was to the world and the cosmos, baptism is, again, to the individual who undergoes it. And in Romans 6, St. Paul tells us as the church that in baptism we were united to Jesus, not just as his sons, but actually united to him as a person in his death, in his resurrection also. That is an awesome thing to behold and consider. As the incarnation united God, the God of the cosmos, to his creation, so in baptism, the creature, that individual, Seemingly insignificant, the speck of dust in light of the rest of the cosmos is united to the God of the cosmos and all creation. How can this be? Nicodemus in John 3 is floored by the idea. No wonder he's confused. If we actually take a moment to behold what's being said by Jesus, Jesus' reply is that as in pregnancy a baby is generated inside the womb, and then born into the world. So in the sacrament of baptism, a child or an adult is born of water and the Holy Spirit to grow up and live his life in union with Christ. God chooses baptism in the name of the Trinity as the way to set apart a person, to save a person, to make a person holy. There's many scriptures that connect baptism to the Christian walk that if you look at it through this lens, through this hermeneutic, jump out at us. Perhaps one of the most concise is from 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, where St. Paul writes, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Again, that's not flowery metaphor, dear friends. This is an actual statement. Let's take Paul at his word. This is baptism and what it's accomplished. What the Lord Jesus revealed to Nicodemus, he repeats in the Great Commission to the disciples before his ascension. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. And lo... I am with you always, even until the end of the world. It's something to hold fast to as well. Baptism, that divinely appointed door that opens the individual to the church, yes, but more importantly to a lifetime in the presence of God, has this promise with it. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world and your life. The two sacraments of the Gospel, baptism and Holy Communion, mystically unite the Christian to God through the actions of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. The pattern appears again and again in Holy Scripture. God acting, sending His Son, changing the course of the history in the world, and then God acting in an individual's life, like St. Paul's, intervening, changing the course of His history and trajectory and yours and mine as well. The kingdom of God is at hand in the presence of God as a man, in Jesus as a cosmic and historical fact and a personal friend and savior. In today's gospel lesson, our Lord Jesus says what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like. Look with me at the appointed lesson for today for the gospel. It can be found on page 6 of your bulletin or in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 18. And look at verse 23. Our Lord Jesus says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. Let's stop there for a moment. The king comes to settle up. And it doesn't look good for the man who owes 10,000 talents. Which is a lot of money, by the way. It depends how you figure it. You can figure it in labor hours. You can figure it in talents, which is a weight of gold or silver. But even if you go at the lowest amount of translating that amount, we're talking about billions of dollars. A lifetime and then some of work. And that's Jesus' point. The mightiest and most established righteous man on this earth lays helpless like a newborn baby with no one and no hope, no hope rather, to pay back to God what God's given him in life and everything else. But in Jesus' comparison, the king grants to that servant pardon. Regarding the kingdom of God, some receive the pardon, others do not. Look further on at verse 27. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him and say, saying, pay what you owe. The sadness of this servant who had been given so much and didn't see it to the point that it didn't affect his life is the point of the gospel passage. The kingdom of heaven is the gift given to us in holy baptism. But do we recognize it? Do we see what's there? And do we act upon it with the rest of our lives? In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, we see this same pattern once again applied. Just a page back there from page 6 in our first lesson. Look with me specifically at Titus chapter 2, verse 11, and then chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, writes St. Paul. And then chapter 3, verse 11. He continues, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. How is this given? By His grace. It's given in grace by the Father to the world through the Son and by the means of grace in baptism by the Son through the Holy Spirit to us. Continuing, he saved us, not because of works done by us, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The words that St. Paul uses here, the washing of regeneration, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, it's not coincidental that these are words used with baptism and water. What's the washing? What's the pouring? This is the sacrament, not mere metaphor. St. Paul's confirming to the early church that this is the means by which Jesus gives us his grace. And the Christian is saved by Jesus. Let's be clear. It's Jesus' work that saves us. It's Jesus' merit and his righteousness. But through baptism, that we might receive grace. And then notice what St. Paul writes, that we might continue to walk in righteousness. The whole beginning part of this passage is important, right? That's why I included it here. Because baptism is to walk in that grace, in righteousness, as Jesus as God's son or daughter. The sacrament of baptism is so much more than just a sign of repentance. It's the beginning of a new life. It's to train us up, to give us the foundation to ministry as Christians. Don't take my word for it. Again, look at St. Paul, verse 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, doing what? Verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what it's about for the present age, says St. Paul. And how are we to do this? Only by the grace of God. Only by the grace of God, which Paul says here, and St. Peter reiterates in his second epistle, chapter 1. He says, Jesus has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of divine nature, which is the final point here in today's sermon of baptism. We're not just given salvation in the sense that we're saved from hell, but we're given that salvation, and we're given the grace to be righteous, and we're given God himself his nature to us so that we can walk and be partakers of him baptism not just a marker of a beginning but a foundation for the rest of our lives of faith and holiness both martin luther and john calvin were adamant that this is the font and the foundation these vows at the beginning of what a Christian must come back to again and again and again in his or her life. For some reason, in many churches, baptism is almost neglected as an afterthought, an empty ritual for some, an afterthought for others. Such churches align their pro- need to align their priorities with the angels, the universe, and with God. To treat the sacrament of baptism as such is to cheapen the gift of the sacrament, to not understand the reality of what's going on, but it's also to hobble the Christian. For if you don't understand how you've been saved by grace and how you come back to that well again and again and again, how can you understand being a righteous person? How can you understand the depth of Jesus' love for you and being united to the very nature of God. The baptism of Edward today is the most important event in his life. It's odd to think about because it's just the beginning of his life, but it is the most important event in his life and for the age to come. For as Jesus sent his son at Christmas to save us, so at this time God takes Edward unto himself to save him, to unite himself to him, to regenerate him, to pour himself by the Holy Spirit into him, and to bring him to a lifetime of love and participation in the divine will. If you've been baptized You have that too. Each one of us needs to understand the riches of God's grace for him or her. But also if you've been baptized, understand the reality in which you walk and the duty that you have. For you've been given that grace to do something with, to pursue righteousness, to pursue God, to be a partaker of, of his nature, so that at the end of your course of this life, when we go to the next, you will be told, well done, good and faithful servant. Dear child of God, already the sweet smell of blessedness is upon you. O you who are being enlightened, already you are gathering invisible flowers for the weaving of heavenly crowns. Already the fragrant aroma of the Holy Spirit has breathed upon you. Already you have come to the entrance hall of the king's palace. May he fill you with the heavenly things of the new covenant and give you the indelible seal of the Holy Spirit unto the ages of ages in Christ Jesus our Lord, to whom be glory unto the ages of ages. Amen. I invite the congregation, if you're able to stand, it's traditional to stand for the length of this service and face what we're doing back here. We start at the doors to the church. The symbolism should be obvious. We're bringing Edward into the church, the body of Christ. Dearly beloved, scripture teaches that we are all dead in our sins and trespasses. Our Savior Jesus Christ said, unless one's born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And he commissioned the church to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Therefore we ask our Heavenly Father that this candidate being baptized with water may be filled with the Holy Spirit, born again, and received as a living member of Christ's holy church. The candidate for holy baptism will now be presented. I present Edward Charlton Gilchrist III to receive the sacrament of baptism. Today on behalf of this child you shall make vows to renounce the devil and all his works, to trust God wholeheartedly and to serve him faithfully. It is your task to see that this child is taught as soon as he's able to learn the meaning of all these vows and of the faith that you will profess as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. He must come to put his trust in Jesus and to learn the creeds and the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and all other things that a Christian ought to know, believe, and do for the welfare of his soul. When he's embraced all these, having become a disciple of Jesus, He is to come to the bishop to be confirmed that he may claim the faith for his own and be further strengthened by the Holy Spirit to serve Christ in his kingdom. Are you willing and ready to undertake this? I am the Lord be my helper. The following questions are addressed to the parents and godparents. Do you renounce the devil and all the spiritual forces of wickedness that rebel against God? I renounce them. Do you renounce the empty promises and deadly deceits of this world which corrupt and destroy the creatures of God? I I renounce renounce them. them. Do you renounce the sinful desires of the flesh that draw you from the love of God? I renounce them. Almighty God, deliver you from the powers of darkness and evil and lead you into the light of obedience of the kingdom of his son Jesus Christ our lord amen again to the parents and godparents answering on edward's behalf do you turn to Jesus Christ and confess to him and confess him as your lord and savior i do do you joyfully receive the christian faith as revealed in the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments? I do. Will you obediently keep God's holy will and commandments and walk in them all the days of your life? I will, the Lord being my helper. And to the congregation and the parents, here is our vow. Will you witness, who witness these vows, do all in your power to support this person in his life in Christ we will let us join with the can- these candidates and proclaim our faith in the words of the ancient baptismal confession the apostles creed do you believe and trust in god the father i do i believe in god the father almighty creator of heaven and earth do you believe and trust in jesus christ i do i believe in jesus christ his only son our lord he was by the Holy Spirit and born of the